With spring right around the corner, maybe you like me, you're excited to get out for longer walks and runs, pick up a new book to read outside, or just get out and explore new neighborhoods and food. Or we could do all three wrapped in one. Our friends over at Read and Run Chicago are expanding to nearby Lamont for three different meetups. The group is like a combination running club, book club, and neighborhood tour, and each route in Lamont is about three miles paired with a different book from Pat Camaliere's Corotazi Historical Mystery Series. Afterwards, you'll get to sit down with the author and historian and sample some food from local restaurants. The first run is Saturday, March 23rd. Spots are limited and are going to go fast. So register now at readandrunchicago.com or find the link on their Instagram at readandrunchicago. Today on CityCast Chicago. Nearly 100 years ago this week, the National Barn Dance premiered on WLS Radio in Chicago. The show basically introduced country and Western music to a national audience. Yes, Chicago was ahead of Nashville in shaping the genre. Journalist Mark Garino wrote the new book, Country and Midwestern, Chicago in the History of Country Music and the Folk Revival. He talks to producer Simone Alisea. It's Thursday, April 20th. I'm Jacoby Cochran, and this is what Chicago's talking about. Mark, welcome to CityCast Chicago. Simone, thanks for having me. What was Barn Dance and sort of what was its uh, significance to the, really the the sort of creation of the genre uh, as we know it? Yeah, if you think about radio in 1924, it was so primitive. They didn't know, it's sort of, the, it reminds me of the early days of the internet. They were trying to find content to put on this new medium. They didn't, and, and it really content would establish which radio stations would be successful. And up, up to the point before the barn dance, they would broadcast symphony orchestras or bedtime stories for children, that kind of thing. Um, at WLS, the same month that it started, um, just somebody had an idea, let's go get some fiddlers and on Saturday night, have them just stand before the microphone and play some fiddle tunes. That was incredibly popular and, and established this, this, the barn dance, which was a running cast of characters. It was a Saturday night program that eventually got a national sponsor. So it went from coast to coast. Hello, 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 everybody, everywhere. How's mother and dad and the whole family? Well, folks, that old harvest moon is shining down extra bright on the old red barn tonight, and for a very special reason. Yes, the Alka-Seltzer National Barn Dance Gang is celebrating its ninth birthday, its 470th happy hayloft party from the old WLS hayloft in Chicago. And the significance of it is that um, within its first about two decades, it, it became a place for musicians from what we would call like the upland south, the upper part of the south, to kind of come to Chicago and bring songs and elements of the culture there to a mass audience. WLS was also really pivotal in creating a blueprint of how to promote this music. It kind of sentimentalized it. It kind of created sort of um, image the first images of what we would think of as country music, kind of checkered shirts and cowboy hats and, and things like that, and presented it to audiences that had never heard it before so in the beginning it was really a rural music it wasn't a southern music and the and the biggest city in the rural uh part of the country was chicago well it's interesting too because you also talk about how the radio itself was a tool to reach rural 
audiences, you know, to reach farmers who wanted to hear about the the stock prices and what was going on at the exchange in Chicago. Like there was sort of a, a natural synergy between trying to find entertainment for those audiences that were adopting the radio at a really fast clip. Yeah, in its earliest days, the Barn Dance was sponsored by a magazine called The Prairie Farmer because they saw exactly what you said, that farmers need and needed entertainment as well, as well. They were very cut off from the rest of the of, of bigger communities. And so while they needed that information, they also needed to be entertained. And that suddenly they discovered there's a big there's a massive audience out there for this music. So that really kind of exploded and it really created a genre. The barn dance is really sort of the, I think, the pre-war pillar um, of, of the history here. But after World War II, Chicago starts to see this influx of, of white migrants from the rural south into the city, particularly into the uptown neighborhood on the north side. What was the sort of response to this population from, from the city's elite? How did they see them and their music? Well, it's probably no surprise that the response was um, fear. This population came to Chicago for work, so they were fil- fulfilling a need that Chicago needed. It had all these jobs, and it was booming, not just in the steel mills. The There were a lot of midsize factories and warehouses that just needed um, all of these workers. But the, the converse of that was there was no place for, you know, no real suitable housing for the families that came with them. So Uptown in particular, and a lot of other communities, I'm on the north side as well, um, that were once sort of considered um, the nightlife area of the Roaring Twenties. Um, they were, it suddenly became kind of um, slum-like conditions. You had slumlords who took these beautiful buildings and cut up the apartments into smaller and smaller apartments. Um, you had people who were used to living outdoors under the big sky who suddenly um, were cooped up in these very tiny spaces and they would go outside and it was dirty and it was loud and it was violent. But also the city just didn't really understand the people there. They talked differently. Um, they, uh, you know, they just had different, they ate different food. There was so much antagonism. If you look at newspapers and magazines of, of, of that time period, there was really uh, so much antagonism towards those people um, through actions taken by the city, um, police intimidation and violence, and, and eventually arsoning of them out of the neighborhood. So it, it, it was pretty bad. Yeah, you several artists um, that are accounts that are quoted in the book. You describe, uh, you know, being harassed by the police if if they heard you had a twang in your voice. Can you say more about kind of the music that's coming out of this this post war period and out of the out of the neighborhood here? Sure. And so by that time, uh, the music had evolved into kind of that honky tonk era, which we would think of as someone like Hank Williams and Webb Pierce and Kitty Wells, where the music suddenly had drums and it suddenly had rhythm, like faster rhythm. I got me a room and a cheap hotel. My head was a spinning and I didn't feel good. I laid right down and tried to go to sleep. A band kept a and the things that people were singing about on the radio were 
kind of dark themes, <laughs> you know, selling your soul to the devil, um, lonesomeness, um, drunkenness. Um, and so stuff that actually later influenced rock and roll and the places where they played were pretty rough. Um, it, it, so you had West Madison Avenue, which was a commonly known at the time as Skid Row. Um, it was a vice district. Um, but all of these bars had stages where these types of bands would play. The city just didn't really take care of these neighborhoods. They didn't care about them. They were very insular um, and they were very violent. So your average Chicago would pick up the Chicago Tribune or the Chicago Daily News and they would read the police blotter of of the the stuff that would happen at these places. And I think that compounded um, the idea that once gentrification was underway, that it made, became pretty clear what neighborhoods um, were, were easy targets. The City of Chicago Department of Business Affairs and Consumer Protection offers a free entrepreneur certificate program for future and current business owners in Chicago. Participants must complete six webinars within six months in designated webinar categories. Graduates are eligible to apply for the CIBC Bank USA Entrepreneur Loan Program, a bank partner with BACP. The longstanding program was created to support startup or early stage small businesses, gain entrepreneur training with important working capital. Since the program launched, more than 1,000 Chicago entrepreneurs and business owners have successfully completed the program. Completing the process is as easy as one, two, three. Number one, register by signing up at chicago.gov slash BACP certificate. Number two, attend six webinars by registering for upcoming webinars at chicago.gov slash BACP webinars. And number three, graduate from the program and you'll receive your digital certificate and information on connecting with CIBC Bank USA. To learn more about the BACP Entrepreneur Certificate Program, please visit chicago.gov slash BACP certificate. First, the bad news. SAP Business AI won't help you generate Cubist versions of your family's holiday photos. But it will help you understand which supplier is best to help you roll out your plant-based packaging in Southeast Asia. Or identify the training your junior project manager needs to rise up the ranks. And automate repetitive tasks while you focus on big innovations. So you can be ready for the next opportunity. Revolutionary technology. Real-world results. That's SAP Business AI. You know, something that people who are familiar with Chicago music history might recognize here is that, you know, this period that we're talking about, the the country music industry in Chicago is growing kind of at the same time along the same path that blues, jazz, gospel music is also growing in the city. These are racialized genres, country music uh, associated with with white folks, uh, jazz, gospel, blues were literally called race records for black audiences by black artists. You know, what were some of the tensions between these industries in Chicago? In Chicago, you know, I think that um, they were pretty segregated scenes. I think that the blues and the jazz scenes, especially, I mean, they were districts on Bronzeville 
that were more like nightlife districts. And so they were, unfortunately, because of segregation, they were very concentrated, whereas the Southerners could move around a little bit more freely where the bars were. And, and, the, and so it wasn't necessarily um, uh, focused on one or two specific areas. You saw a little bit more overlap when you get into the folk era, because the folk era in the 50s and 60s, a lot of those performers were African-American and they sang folk songs that were kind of that, that, that came from Appalachia and that, and, and um, they were big stars. Like Odetta is a great example of um, a black female folk singer who performed quite a lot in Chicago at the Gate of Horn. And she was a, a big star there and a big national star. the folk revival people they were really interested in blues performers and and so so you had someone like uh, blues and gospel so you had some people like Mahalia Jackson and Muddy Waters they would play to folk audiences to white predominantly folk audiences at events sponsored by like the old town school of folk music um, and so that's where you really saw the overlap but there really wasn't tension there because there was actually an eagerness to um, to hear that music it's not just the the music uh, or, you know, into the 60s and 70s, that is those those venues that are becoming integrated. But even before that, um, politically, there is some overlap uh, when you talk about the Young Patriots and Uptown uh, working with the Black Panthers and the Young Lords. And they're, they're creating protest music together and in concert with each other as well. Yeah, that's the craziest, in a way, like, you couldn't it's out of a movie in a way in fact it should be a movie because it, it's 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 really incredible so in uptown which was a very impoverished area the north side was more or less impoverished lincoln park was was a puerto rican on enclave there as well and so you had these street gangs more or less and they would fight as street gangs are apt to do over time they started to see that they actually had more in common than differences and what they had in common was the city of chicago wanted to get rid of them and so there were alliances made and that's the incredible thing and then out of those alliances um when they would get together for rallies there would be music uh, one great story I, I love is bob gibson who was a folk revival star from the gate of horn and a very clean-cut white folk singer whose mentor was pete seeger he aligns himself with Cha-Cha Jimenez, who's leader of um, the big Puerto Rican gang in Chicago, and they write songs together. Um, and they use those songs at political rallies um, because the, the common enemy was the city of Chicago because the bulldozers were, um, were coming fast to kind of relocate these people. We have talked a little bit about the folk revival. Um, one thing I really want to make sure we talk about, though, is the Old Town School of Folk Music, which opened in 1957. Uh, just such a huge institution in Chicago. How unique is the Old Town School among music schools in the country? So it's completely unique. I mean, I think that even people don't realize how unique the old town school is because it's been here forever. Started in 1956. It's the longest running school of its kind. And it influenced a lot of other schools of its kind in other cities like Denver and New York. Um, but 
the Old Town School's impact on Chicago's music culture is completely, I can't overstate how profound it is. The Old Town School was really always at the forefront in promoting the music and trying to expand the music and trying to reach people in promoting concerts, not just where the schools were located in its different locations, but in other areas of the city. And the early founders, Win Strackey, Don Greening, and Frank Hamilton, were embedded in the community. They knew the music really well, and they were beyond passionate for it. And it's really through their efforts that the school um, uh, really just became a place, a refuge for people who wanted just to learn music, but learn it through this tradition that wasn't just a one-on-one tradition. If I go learn guitar from somebody in their living room, it was a community. It's a community tradition. So you're learning in a group of uh, a room with a group of people, and that is an old, old tradition that 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 still makes it um, welcoming to people who may think they can they don't know anything about music. In the '70s, everywhere else, the folk music scene or singer songwriter scene had died because of rock and roll. Greenwich Village really you hear so much about that scene, and it was very, very important. It really only lasted a couple of years. There was a second folk boom in Chicago in the 70s because of the Old Town School, and and that fostered all these clubs on Lincoln Avenue and, and in other neighborhoods that were singer-songwriter clubs, if you can believe it. They had songwriters seven nights a week honing the craft, and how did that jump people like John Prime came out of, but so many others. Yeah, very uh, currently located in Lincoln Square um, after moving a few different times. You know, can you, who are some maybe modern artists um, that people might recognize that, that kind of pull from this tradition or have connections to the, to the old town school? Boy, you know, the list is really long. You know, we always talk about Steve Goodman and, and John Prine. I used to live in Chicago where the cold wind blows. I delivered more junk mail than the junkyard where old. I wasn't hurting nobody. I wasn't hurting no one. But other performers who um, we would recognize today, people like Andrew Bird. Yeah, I paint you a picture of Palacid Night. Come back to Chicago City Chicago. Of course, Jeff Tweedy, um, whose kids took classes there, and, and early on he would do children's shows there. The list is, 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 boy, it's, it's so long. So I think it's, it, it was definitely a catalyst for that. It's so interesting too, because you think about, you know, the twenties and the barn dance, and that was so much about defining what country was supposed to look like and sound like, and who was supposed to be a part of it. And then you think about the legacy of the old town school of folk music today. And so much of it is just about how, how many different things folk can be. Most people don't associate Chicago with country music, why has this legacy kind of been lost in the public consciousness? You know, I've thought about that a lot. And I think that um, there's a couple of reasons. One is there was really no commercial, at least in the modern era. By the time that um, 
the kind of the recording industry became sort of a massive global industry. Chicago had moved on from that music. And so um, Nashville became an area where a lot of the Sony musics and, and just mass, you know, all these major artist managers and publishing companies had taken root there because that city needed an industry to, um, to make it the Nashville that we know today. So I think what happened in Chicago was that um, it's sort of a similar thing what happened with like the rock scene and the jazz scenes is that it became the sort of not really underground scene, but the scene where working musicians could come here and and do their craft and become better artists and elevate their careers. Um, it wasn't a star making machinery. It was a kind of a creative making machinery. You know, I'm really curious for you, what, what made you so interested in this history? Was there you know, a a significant moment, a song or a place that really kind of sparked your interest in wanting to understand um, country music and Chicago's history in it a little bit better? Growing up, I always got a lot of the music from uh, people who were older than me. So I got into like the Woodstock era or like the psychedelic San Francisco scene or the Greenwich Village scene or the New York punk scene. I love bands from all those scenes and I love the history of it. But I always thought like, I felt like I was borrowing other people's nostalgia. Um, and it wasn't until the nineties that um, I recognized in the late nineties that there was something going on in Chicago, not just the rock scene where bands like smashing pumpkins and material issue were kind of bubbling up and, and really def- putting Chicago on the map for rock music. But underneath that, there were all these bands that were playing seven nights a week that were incredible. And there was a scene happening here and the biggest band, of course, is Wilco, which we know today. I remember stepping back and thinking, wow, that is, this is happening in real time. Um, and, and I'm a part of it and I'm watching it happen and creating a genre that, that we know of today called Americana. And I think that was the root for the book for me was thinking, was trying to really write about that and figuring out, well, why was that happening here? And the one kind of lovely thing that came out of this book was that I really found all these threads, even though they seem, from different time periods, uh, you know, different types of people, different parts of the city. There were threads that continued that connected all the dots. Mark Reno is the author of Country and Midwestern. Thank you so much again for taking the time and talking with us today. Oh, this was fun. Thanks for having me. Before I let you go, a little bit of news, y'all. Mayor Lori Lightfoot presided over her final city council meeting yesterday as the council approved a 100-year water deal with Joliet and voted Hyde Park's Promontory Point a city landmark. Meanwhile, her successor mayor-elect Brandon Johnson was in Springfield to push lawmakers, among other things, to change the funding formula for CPS so it's no longer tied to enrollment. He also wants a nurse and social worker in every school. Today, from 11 a.m. to 3 p.m., there's a veterans job fair at Soldier Field. It's a free event for all transitioning members of the military, veterans, their spouses and dependents. And some good news to get you through. Joy District and River North has a fun two-week immersive experience for you as they recreate the famed 70s nightclub, Studio 54. It kicks off tonight. I got links for tickets in the show notes. As always, I appreciate you for listening. Make sure you're following along our daily newsletter, Hey Chicago, at chicago.citycast.fm. We've been doing Personal Budget Week all week long, and today our newsletter editor, Sydney Madden, has some best places to eat in Chicago for the cheap. 
I'm going to be back here bright and early breaking down some news with some friends. Hopefully you'll join me. Peace. I do. I love a good honky tonk.